You're listening to the Photographer's Story Podcast. I'm your host, Hark Najjar, and joining me is international photography business coach, Bernie Griffiths, as my co-host. Well, hi, Robin. Uh, thank you for joining us on this podcast. So we've got Bernie. Hi, Bernie. How are things uh, out in uh, your part of the world? Hi, Hark. Yeah, and, uh, here in Victoria and Australia, we're going really, really well. Um, we've eliminated coronavirus and... Uh, totally want to isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. So yeah, don't think about coming anywhere near us. That's why you get to celebrate Christmas and uh, we have to do it uh, all by ourselves. So yeah, you do it differently. We're, uh, we're all all ready to go. So our special guest today, Hark, is someone that I have known for a long time. Uh, Robin Hills is a photographer not just a photographer, but a master photographer, fully qualified master photographer, also does judging at uh, Australian Institute of Professional Photography Awards and others, is an incredible sort of person, not only being a pilot, also being a designer, being many other things, but Robin can tell us all about that. Hi, Robin, and, and welcome. So this uh, podcast, Robin, is all about stories, and I'm sure you've got a few to tell, uh, which may take more than half an hour that we've allocated for you. But let's just start off with when you got an interest in photography. And I, I believe that you made a big statement at the age of around 10 or 12 years old that you wanted to earn a living out of art. I did. So I was not fixated on any particular style of art, but it had to be art. So, of course, my very well-meaning parents said I had to get a real job because the only um, rich artists were the dead ones. And I went, no, no, um, that's not going to be my problem. I'm going to, if I'm going to spend five days out of every seven doing something to earn a living, I'm going to do it out of art. That was interesting that you thought of that. And I had the same thing when I was 15. I wanted to be a successful photographer and travel the world. And I actually wrote that goal down. Did you write your goal down? No, I didn't. Um, Not at the time, but I've definitely since then learned to write all my goals down and have timelines for them. So I'm a huge list maker and a goal setter. And um, then I just thought about going to do them. And uh, you left school at 14, I left at 15. So yeah. how come you left early? Did you just escape or something? Well, my birthday's on the 28th of December. And uh, so I'm a twin. And I think my mum just probably wanted to get us out of the house. So because we actually turned five that year, you were allowed to start grade one. So I'd only literally just turned four when I started grade one. Um, we didn't do preschool or anything at the time. So um, by the time I finished grade 10, you're allowed to leave school, but I was still only 14. So. I didn't know there were two of you. Yeah, I've got a twin brother. And does he live in Australia? Yeah, yeah, he lives in Brisbane and he's a dermatologist and a cosmetic surgeon. So um, oh. it's kind of fun because he studied till he was 35 years old. And I said to him, do you know we have the same jobs? And he went, what do you mean we can't possibly have the same jobs? And I'm like, yeah, you make people look good. I make people look good. They're the same job. <laughs> Does he have any interest in art? Or I'm just trying to figure out if you guys are twins, if uh, he's it runs in the uh, in the genes. <laughs> no, I think we got the yin and yang of the um, traits and the personalities. 
Uh, he's math science-based and I can't see English space. So <laughs> we complement each other. So your passion uh, initially was in investment property. It's just something that... Uh, occurred in your head um so at the early age of 15 or 16 you you pester your parents to drive you one half hours for an investment this is investment properties right so the stock exchange would run seminars um you could actually go to gold investing or rare coins investing or stamps or um, so i actually bought um one ounce of gold um at 16 as my very first investment and that's right you still got it uh, no i actually say it'd be worth about three hundred thousand now <laughs> <laughs> i actually used it as a deposit for my first car oh clever <laughs> i like that how did the car salesman go with that when you gave him the gold the oh no payment? i said to him i've got to go sell my gold to buy the car okay. and he went uh, i'll take it as a deposit <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So when did photography hit your life? Uh, I was 20 when I opened my first studio. So I'd actually gone around to the local newspaper and to all the other studios in the area and asked for a job as a photographer and no one would give me a job. They actually told me, nope, I was a girl. They weren't going to train me because I would just leave and get married and have children. And I'm like, well, as far as I know, you can still be a photographer throughout any of those events. Uh, so yeah, the world's really changed. And I went, well, no one's going to give me a job. I'll just start my own business. How hard can that be? Where did you get the money to open up your first studio? Did you actually buy a building or did you uh, rent your very first studio? Yes, yeah, so I rented. I took a three-year lease. And I'd been working three jobs, though. So I, when I left school, I worked in an Nazi office. So creative. I will show them. She's going to make me the goals. But uh, in Saturday morning, I was working at a florist shop and I had part-time work at night doing uh, design work, commercial artwork for a local travel agency doing little sketches for the newspaper, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, and I joined the camera club at 17 and quite quickly got excited about photography. So that's how I got into photography as, as my art form. Do you still remember your very first uh, sale that you did as a, as a photographer? And what was it? Uh, so they were outdoor um, portraits of the other ladies that worked in the office with me at the accountancy. So we went down to the local park at lunch time and I got paid to um, do some portraits. The, um, the thing uh, in, in that era was, of course, that uh, it was male-dominated as a photographer, uh, totally. And uh, obviously you saw it as a challenge to, to break into the, uh, the male domain. Was it putting a lot of pressure on you because of the way things were? I've never done anything because I wanted to prove a point about being a female. I've always done everything just because I wanted to do it. Um, the fact that I keep picking male-dominated fields seems interesting. Um, but I just do it because I'm a person and I just aim to do it really well. But yeah, I remember going to my first photography conference and there were a hundred people there and three of them were women and the other two women were wives of photographers oh, right. that worked in the studio. So I was literally the only active photographer in my own life. So I'm like, okay. That was the other question that I was going to ask you in being a very male dominated uh, business whether you actually had a, a female mentor or somebody that you looked up to uh, during that era, that uh, that's the person that I appreciate and uh, I, I want to be. And did you have anybody in your mind? Uh, yeah, I, 
I'm very eclectic, so I get inspiration from lots and lots of different sources. So I can't say that I had one particular. Like I would see a photograph in a magazine and I'd go, how do I photograph that? So I'd actually rip the photo out of the magazine and pin it in front of my desk and look at it for a week and then finally discover, you know, the five different lights that they used to, you know, and the reflections in the eyes to work out how they actually got that effect. And so at the time, the, the labs, the professional labs that we were using in Australia, they were bringing speakers from um, the States and also from the UK. Every six or 12 months I'd go to another seminar and then that would be my style for the next month or so until I realised, no, that's not working for me or that doesn't work. You know, um, people getting photographed in black turtleneck sweaters when we live in a really tropical climate is just not going to be a style that's going to take off here. So I have to go back and find my own style. But each time it progressed and I learned some more skills. So, yeah, I love watching. We travel a lot, so um, I will buy fashion magazines anywhere over the world, um, architectural magazines, um, anything that is visual excites me and I incorporate that. What was your first camera, Robin? So my very first camera was a 110 camera. It was a little film camera, so it's literally about this big. And it has a little teeny-weeny strip of film that you put a cassette into. And um, I'd gone off to camera club, and so they said, oh, the next meeting is that we're going to have a competition and it's on nature. So I'd taken a photo off the top of the mountain one day and on my 110 camera, and that I knew about presentation somehow inherently. It's always just been part of what I do. So I very neatly cut out a little black mount and put my photo on it and put a little title. And it said, Nature, the Universe, the Unknown and the Unknown. And so I put it in. And of course, I won the first prize. And so I was so excited that I'd actually won my first prize at my first competition with my little 110 film camera. So um, I think I've always adhered to the theory of it doesn't actually matter what you take the photo on as long as you take the photo. And that journey took you taking, photographing uh, the usual things like weddings and portraits. Uh, that's the way it went? Yeah, I'm, I'm a real people person. So I love photographing people. I love um, finding out what makes them tick. I love getting inside their head. I ask them loads of questions before I take their photos. Um, I ask them how they see the world or how the, they would like the world to see them. And I'm a huge romantic, so I love weddings and love being part of the fuss and the organisation. I'm a bit of a control freak organiser myself. So that suited me really well to you know, turn up at a wedding and help calm things down and make things... Um, flow really smoothly. And the starting point of winning an award, uh, you also continued uh, throughout your career and winning awards to get the title of being a master photographer. Um, what drove you to do that? A lot of photographers like myself don't bother with all of that stuff. And you progressed on and, and uh, got uh, enormous qualification. What was your driving force? The driving force was that I wanted to keep improving. And I used it as a benchmark to continue. So if I could win this award, then it was judged by my peers. So to me, that had some industry credibility as well. And I also used it as a really good marketing tool for my business. I'd come back and go, hey, look, I've won another award. 
um, or you know, leading up to the awards the following year, I would actually sometimes design four photos and then go out to the media and say, I'm looking for this type of person to photograph so that um, you know, I can enter this into the awards. So uh, it was kind of a yearly project for me to keep progressing. And I think because I was conscious of leaving school so young and having no formal qualifications whatsoever, that it was important to me to gain that recognition. Because of the qualification, you also became a judge. So you then judged others, photographers. Yes. And I think that's when my work really improved the most because then I would come home and actually judge my own work. And then I would also get a network of judges as friends. So we would each send our photos to each other through the year and say, you know, you're not going to be able to judge this at the judging, but can you please have a look at it now? I don't mind if you leave the judging panel and get off because it's my work and you've seen it previously, but can you give me some feedback? So, yeah. And then from the judging, I went on to become a coach trainer, a judge trainer and a mentor, which was loads of fun, challenging people. So you could send them a photo and say, okay, so this photograph has got a score of 92 out of 100. Give me the arguments and three bullet points of why I got that score. And it could just be a really average photo, but they had to pick the positives in it. And then I would send them the next week the exact same photo and say, this photo got a score of 62 please tell me why and three bullet points for it. So those kind of things of learning to see the positives and um, make a good argument. You know, being a good judge is uh, really about being able to talk about the photo. As Bernie had talked about like earlier that he never really believed in any of those uh, awards or uh, uh, being able to sort of entering competitions and such. Did you feel like entering those uh, awards and uh, and competitions improved you as a photographer? Or was it more about the recognition uh, so that you would use that as a marketing? Or was it more personal that it would make you a better photographer through the judging process, uh, learning where you need to get better? Uh, it was both. So I definitely used it as a marketing tool. But that turned out to be yin and yang as well because over the years you know I would meet people and they'd go oh we really wanted you to do some photos for us but um you were too expensive because you've won all of those awards and I'd go but you never even rang me to see how much it was so I went well never mind um but you know at least the reputation was there as a good photographer in the community so I guess that's a good thing um, but I did want to um, progress my photography and I would find when you've judged 200, 2,000 photos in two or three days, you really get to eye in. And generally I found in the next week to one month after the judging was when I actually produced my most interesting work. So then the following year I'd come back and look at that month's work because I was so inspired and so my eye was so sharp for detail and composition and lighting and impact and all of those exciting things that get the judges out of their seat. If a photo wins an award, it's not necessarily the photo that the clients bought. The clients will buy the one of their family all looking happy, smiling at the camera and having a great time, whereas the judges will pick the surliest, most serious, dark, dramatic, um, exciting, offbeat composition because it's visually exciting. In terms of producing art that you just mentioned that the clients typically expect a different type of picture versus 
judges that are looking for a different image, Bernie will probably tell you, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you're creating images that are very sellable images. What's your view on that? Yeah, I think there's a huge crossover. So I set myself a standard of that out of every photography sitting, I should be able to get a silver award. And that's 80 points out of 100. And the consistency of my work had to really lift. And then when I would reach one level, like get associate, then get master, then go on to blind master, um, each time the judging criteria got harder because of the number of points you had to accumulate within the timeframes, and so I knew that I had to be consistently producing high quality work. And I think part of the fun is that I love making my clients happy because that ultimately is why I do photography. I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. So I love pleasing people and it's my Achilles heel because I'll go to any lengths to make sure people are happy. But also I need to please myself. So during a session, I would take stuff hey, can we just try this? I've got this going on in my head. Or um, if I've met them before, definitely, I'd be making furious amounts of notes. I'll, I'll scratch down lots of notes of when we're talking to them. Oh, how about we do this? Or, you know, like my graphic designer one day was talking to me and she said, oh, you know, we just sat down, had a cup of tea. And I said, oh, so what's been happening? And she said, oh, I got some new chickens. I right, cool. Um, what kind of chickens are they? I don't know anything about chickens, but you just start asking questions and go down the whole line. And she said, oh, they're Rhode Island Reds. And I'm like, oh, cool. Um, we're going to have to photograph you. And because at the time I'd set myself a target of photographing for an exhibition in my life, a project to work for. And so the theme of the exhibition was red. So everyone that came into the studio that year, I said, can you also bring something red with you? And so we ended up having to photograph the graphic designer with her red chicken. So she was in this stunning red dress um, holding this Rhode Island red chicken at the studio. That was an award-winning photo, but like it just started out as a cup of tea with what's been happening. Uh, Robin, talking of ex exhibitions, uh, you've done many. And the uh, highlights probably were a couple you did, uh, one in uh, Paris and one in New York. Uh, just tell us a little little bit about those, especially the Aboriginal one, which was uh, uh, that one you did in Paris, right? Uh, that was an interesting story, right? Of how you met the guy and, and why you were uh, out in the bush anyway. Yes. And so my parents would tell you as a teenager that I always said I wanted to go and live with the Aborigines. And so eventually I do a lot of volunteer work, both my husband and I do. And he's in the Rotary. So I volunteered with him to go to the Solomon Islands to build some rainwater tanks for the school kids there. They had no fresh rainwater. And it turned out, though, that it was a boys' trip. And because I wasn't the Rotary member, they came back and told me girls weren't allowed to go. And I went, you can't say that in this day and age. That's just inappropriate. Like, who do I ring up? I'm going to have complaints. And then I went, oh, what the heck, you go do your thing, I don't care, I'll go do something I really want to do. So I decided it was time to go and live with the Aborigines. But I had two weeks, not six months, so I went, oh, two weeks is a start. So within a couple of days, by just telling everyone that I knew in my network that I wanted to go live with the Aborigines, um, I had three different offers to go to Aboriginal communities in Central Australia. And one community had a volunteer program. And I went, 
actually, that's probably a good thing to do as a starting point, go to a public program. So I volunteered. And so you've got to fly, it's like a whole day's flight to get to Central Australia. And then you've got to get in a four wheel drive and drive five hours northwest into the Tanami Desert. It's in the middle of nowhere. And so this little artist community. And I was photographing um, I volunteered to do formal portraits of all the artists because they never had a beautiful portrait. And I want to treat them with respect and give them the same treatment that I would photograph. And so very formal, proper studio lighting. I use one of their black painted background, um, their paintings. So they get primed with a black primer before they paint them. So I actually use that as a background. Anyhow, this guy turned up, he was an art dealer from Paris and he specialized in tribal art. And he went, so who's the photographer? And I went, oh, someone's been talking. And so we had this great conversation. He went, you should come to Paris and have an exhibition here. What? Do you mean that? Don't mess with me. I'm a fragile artist. I've got an ego, a fragile ego. Don't say that if you don't mean it. And he went, no, no, I mean it. So we called it the dots of life because had it not all of these things happened in that sequence, then I wouldn't have been in an exhibition in Paris. And I think the New York one was something you just took on yourself and wanted to do, so you just did it. Yeah, so because I'm such an eclectic photographer, like I photograph people, but then I photograph art, fine art pieces, and I photograph landscapes, and I do aero photography. So um, it was straight after the GFC, like literally the industry here, the luxury industry just came to a screeching halt. And it was good old days, landlines still and, and mobiles, and the studio phone just stopped ringing. And I'm like, oh, okay, but it'd be something that is. And I went and checked. I rang my mobile to the landline. Oh, yeah, no, the phone's working. It hasn't been, <laughs> no one's cut the cable outside or anything. <laughs> yeah, there's just no phone calls. And I went, well, what's on my list of things to do? And so I've got a goal list of things I'd like to do before I die. And and one of them was to have an exhibition in New York. And I went, oh, now's as good as time as any. I've got time to do it. And of course, I should have followed the thinking, well, if there's a GFC here, there's also a GFC in New York. But um, we were um, going to New York um, around about that time. And so I went to lots of galleries. I picked up all the gallery guides. And just in Chelsea, there's like 500 galleries within 10 blocks. And so I came home, collated it all onto a spreadsheet, every gallery out of every little book I picked up. And I started emailing them. And I don't know, about two, two or 400 emails that I sent out. And uh, one of them actually replied back and said, yes, we'd love to have you for an exhibition. Cool. What do you want? You know, my abstract fine artwork. Please pick my abstract fine artwork. No, no, we'd like your Australian landscape. Okay, sure. Let's do that. <laughs> Did you actually end up making lots of money or was it more about uh, getting notoriety and uh, more material for your marketing uh, campaign? Yes. So, um, no. Out of any exhibition, I have never made a profit ever. Um, the one most successful exhibition by sales I've ever had was at a charity dinner where the body of work I'd been working on for that year aligned with the theme of their dinner. And so it was a dress-up theme charity fundraiser dinner. 
And so I put on this exhibition and of course all the profits I donated to the charity. So it's technically my most successful exhibition by sales, but I didn't make any money. So it's a good segue, Rob, into uh, the fact that uh, from your photographic art to your um, uh, fashion design, that you were wearing something at one of these exhibitions and uh, you met a lady and maybe you could tell us that story about uh, how uh, it, it sort of evolved into a fashion line of clothing. Yes, so my New York exhibition, I wanted to look like an artist, it was very important to me. I'm a visual, you know, everything's got to come together visually. So um, my girlfriend said, just go shopping in New York. And I'm like, no, no, way too much pressure to find the right outfit when you get there for opening night. So it was at the time when photography, digital photography, could be pretty much printed onto any substrate. You could print it on metal, timber, wood, leather, fabric. And so I went, oh, I'll make my own outfit. So I wore a beret and I had some braces and I made a necktie. So out of the winning portfolio a year or so earlier, I'd won Australian Professional Photography Year. And one of the images was what I called the Green Man. And so I designed a Green Man necktie and wore it to opening night. And so everyone came over and was looking at my photographs and went, oh, beautiful photos. But wow, where did you get your necktie? And after like the seventh person said to me about my fantastic necktie and where could they buy my necktie, and I went, oh man, really? Can't we just like sell some photographs here? <laughs> and the next lady, she came along and she was an Aussie, but working in um, New York as a fashion designer. And she said to me, but so, you know, your necktie is obviously one of your photographs, but why aren't you putting your landscapes on them? I'm like, yeah, people would actually buy these? And she said, yeah, yeah. And the fact that she was a fashion designer and an Aussie, and she gave me her card. So I came home, had it for a while because I didn't sell any photos in New York. And I ended up donating the whole exhibition to the Rotary Club of Wall Street in New York. And they actually sold them off as a fundraiser to clothe the homeless in business attire so they could go and go to job interviews. So it went to a really good cause. <laughs> Anyhow, the fashion designer came home and I emailed this um, designer and said, what do I do next? And she said, well, you need to go to Sydney or Melbourne Fashion Week, you know, design a range. Wow, okay. So uh, in a few weeks' time, there was going to be Sunshine Coast Fashion Week, which is our local area in Queensland. And um, so I rang the organizer and I said okay here's, here's what I've got but she said okay we're having our final design meeting at nine o'clock tomorrow morning get new designs so we can see whether we're going to include you or not and I only have one design so in my head I didn't say that out loud um so I said look is it okay if I just email you some, the designs so I stayed up all night and I designed a range of 20 neckties overnight emailed them to her and she rang me at um, 11 o'clock the next morning and she said, you're in. What do I do now? So I had to get a whole range of neckties manufactured. I had to design a label, which means labeling, packaging. You have to design a brand. So anyhow, the necktie started. Because we live in a tropical area and uh, one of my friends said to me, so you know that neckties are kind of on the way out. 
as a fashion item and we live in a tropical area no one actually wears neckties and then i had visions of oh no it's going to be the same as the new york exhibition i'm not going to sell anything and i went okay so if i sell five neckties i'll deem that as a success out of the 20. and he went oh fair enough you know you've set yourself a standard and if you're happy with that so anyhow we actually sold 27 neckties in the first night so i was pretty happy <laughs> so i've gone on to do scarves which i'm wearing right now so they're my aerial landscape photos from the helicopter and also now we're doing a range of leggings with photographs print on and i believe for your husband's birthday you wore uh, some article of clothing covered with photographs of him is that right did i see that somewhere <laughs> so for our wedding i wanted to make a ross frock honor him and love him <laughs> so i designed um a frock and i wore it the night before our wedding to you know the pre-dinner and yeah so it's a complete dress made out of faces of and so they're kind of semi-abstract so you have to look at it a couple of times and then you realize it's actually lost so generally every wedding anniversary i put it on and wore it out to dinner for our wedding anniversary uh, that's giving us an idea isn't it hawk maybe we <laughs> could get some photographs of ourselves um on a dress <laughs> and uh, to promote the podcast <laughs> yeah I, I like that idea bernie but i think uh, i'll yeah. stick with your picture in fact i can be small yeah. right now well, i'll take a picture right now <laughs> that's the one that i, I like no i've <laughs> i've just had this hankering for many years to want to wear women's clothes <laughs> I think we should leave yeah. the fashion tips and fashion design yeah. to yeah. Robin. Uh, I, okay. I think uh, we'll, we'll leave that for Robin to do. If we get away, if we get away from fashion, as a uh, photography business coach, Robin, one of the things I say to my clients is, you know, separate yourself from others. So you came up with an idea many years ago to uh, with a catchphrase, which I think said something like, "Why well, have a photograph?" when you can have a robin graph. Where did that come from? I'd gone to a seminar by Ken Duncan, and he's a very famous Australian landscape photographer. And he called his work, because he does panoramas, he registered uh, Duncanorama or something like that, which kind of got me thinking of, <laughs> oh, well, if you can have that, I can have robin graphs. So my catchphrase is, don't just get a photograph, get a robin graph. And so my clients kind of love that as well. It's, you know, it's a robin graph. And they often tell me when they go on their cruises or they go on holidays, you know, then they do it. We've got to do a robin graph pose. And so they, you know, tag me on Facebook and tell me about their robin graph poses that they're doing now. They insist you sign it, right? Yes, yeah, so all the portraits have always been signed. So that's fantastic. I, I just want to get on to your, uh, your property portfolio as well. And, uh, the fact you fly helicopters and so many other things. But um, so with a property, you bought your first property, which was four units and renovated them, and you're only 22. And how many projects have you done since then? What do you call them? Do you, is this the buy and flip or flip and flop? What do you do? What's your renovation strategy? Hopefully not too many flops. That's the aim of the day. <laughs> flip and flop. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Um, at 22, I worked out pretty quickly. My business was very successful, very quickly. I put lots and lots of energy in it. And I worked, you know, six and a half days of the week and several nights of the week. And it really took off. And But I realised quite quickly that this was going to be a good income. And I was going to travel and, you know, I bought my first Porsche when I was 22. Um, what else do you do when you're 22? And then I realised that to actually get some wealth, then I needed to do something differently. So that's when I started investing as a parallel career virtually in property. And so most people only ever knew that I did photography because I just didn't talk about the property side of it. But in the last few years, I've been putting it up on Facebook. Um, when I start a project, you know, here's the photo at the walk-in with the face mask and the gloves on because it's um, so bad. Um, and here's the, the process. So that's been kind of fun. And But, yep, so pretty much I've done like one project each year then ever since. So, I don't know, I must be getting close to 100. No, I'm not that old. <laughs> when you start uh, renovating and uh, construction, do you actually get heavily involved in that process or do you have a contractor that actually works on those properties? Because uh, it's, it's got to be pretty, uh, uh, especially if you're doing that many number of uh, renovations, who, who actually does the work? Yeah, so I do all the budget. I do all the design. I actually heavily research the projects and print out a vision board of this is what the kitchen's going to look like. This is what the overall house. So in Photoshop, I'll actually repaint the house and do all the colors. So I pin it on the notice board and then the painters can literally just go and see what color paint they've got to put where. And so I'm a huge list maker. So I make a list for the plumber, a list for the electrician, and they love turning up on their jobs and go, where's my list going? I go, yeah, over there on the board, where you go. So super organized. And so I generally do a renovation in three to six weeks. And I'm on site at 6 a.m. every day. So, and, um, and are you one of those investors that uh, typically renovates and then flips the property? Or are you more into real estate uh, uh, rental income property side uh, of the business? Both. So I hold a property portfolio of rentals uh, for some income. And I also then what I would call you know, do a chunk deal where you just flip the deal to get a chunk of money back out and then you go use that as a deposit for the next deal. So I do both because you need to do both. And then photography is kind of the, the income along the way that keeps it all ticking over. And Huck, uh, I've seen a lot of photographs of, uh, of Robin on the building sites and it's actually like a reality show. She should be on TV with a weekly reality show because she wears these really cute overalls and is very fashion dressed for the job. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, Robin, we can see you on your, your, your own show, which could be flipping and flopping in Australia. Hopefully not flopping, just flipping. Well, flip flop. Oh, well, you know, it's a reality. Um you know, the the last project that I did, I actually made a loss for the first time in 30 years of doing property development. So it was a huge shock to me, but it was unprecedented times. And so I had to get over myself. So one of my developer friends said to me, oh, so now you are a real developer because you actually made a loss. And I went, oh, okay, so that helps. Yeah, go me. 
That's been great. And uh, your uh, fly helicopters, do you fly anything else? No, just helicopters. Just helicopters? <laughs> um, yeah, that was another Dots of Life story. So uh, when I won the Australian Photographer Year, Kodak sponsored my prize. I elected to go to Antarctica and get on a Russian icebreaker and go photograph the Antarctic. And at Sydney Airport, on my way there, I met my husband and he was a helicopter pilot. So my future husband obviously um, he was a helicopter <laughs> <pilot>. <laughs> and so he said well I'd always been interested in aviation and when I was 22 I actually explored the idea of opening a chain of studios all over our state and getting my plane pilot's license and flying in between studios and that's kind of funny as well because had have i done that i would have met um my husband at that point because his business was actually all over the state and he flew in between his businesses so that would have saved 20 years of time <laughs> anyhow so yeah at the time he owned a helicopter so i got to learn to fly a helicopter so that sparked my absolute passion for aerial photography by the privilege of being able to see the landscape from that really unique perspective and being able to say, you know, um, because we both fly, so whoever's flying at the time, or, you know, if I'm flying, I'll just say to the boss, you know, can you take over the controls? I need to take this photo. Can we move back around there and can we climb or get this angle? Absolutely amazing. Uh, we've gone a bit over time, Hawk. Uh, what, what what shall we do? Do you think? Do you think we should have Robin on again? Absolutely. I think Robin needs to come back because uh, there's there's a lot of questions uh, still un unanswered, unfortunately, for the time. But you still have to have a few questions that you're going to have to ask Robin to be able to uh, do the uh, the uh, the hot seat uh, questions, uh, Bernie. So we let, let let's just get those in. That's right. Let's put Robin in the hot seat. One answer, Robin, uh, to these questions. Uh, we've just got a couple of questions for you. What's your favourite food? Uh, pink icing. What's the biggest portrait sale you've done? $32,000. And if you had the choice and unlimited money, what plane would you own? None, because I'm not a plane. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a plane flyer. Well, maybe, and, maybe um, a helicopter. Helicopter. Unlimited money, I would rather, um, you know, hire a helicopter and so that I did it And one of your things about which we can talk about uh, when we do it again is about uh, besides your charity work and your mantra, you want to make the world a better place uh, in two words or three words. How are you going to do that? By photographing people and teaching them that they are people and they have something to give to the world that is special and unique and their portrait should remind them of that. And what's the most embarrassing moment? There are so many. <laughs> like, I'd be the craziest. That's why you're going to have to come back, Robin. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll just have a, a podcast, uh, Robin's most Crazy. embarrassing moments. <laughs> and that'll take up a whole hour, right? <laughs> yeah, there's lots of it. <laughs> okay. Just uh, thank you first before I hand over to Hawk. Uh, for coming and sparing some time with us. I'm sure the listeners have found it fascinating. You, you seem to have lived about five lives so far in this one lifetime. Uh, absolutely incredible. And we haven't even gone deep into uh, a lot of things that you do. So we certainly would love to have you back. And Robin, if, uh, if anyone wants to see more about you, uh, how do they do that? Um, I guess check out my website, www.robinbrowse.com.au. 
Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, uh, Robin. This was a, a great uh, learning experience for me. I, I've heard a little bit about you uh, through the group. Uh, Bernie had told me a little bit about your flying interests, uh, uh, and uh, we're definitely going to have to have you back uh, to tell us a little bit more stories about uh, flying and photographing aerial uh, landscapes in uh, in Australia. And uh, for our listeners, uh, thank you very much for uh, listening. And if you uh, liked what you heard, uh, we would love to have a five-star review from uh, iTunes or wherever you're listening. And um, thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Robin. And we'll see you at the next episode.